We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into the Ravens Vaults. I am Sarah Ellison, alongside my recovering co-host, Bobby Trossett. He is still gutting it through, but Bobby, you're a little bit better, right? A little bit better than Sunday? How are we feeling here? I'm trying my best here, staying above water. It's week two. I mean, come on. This was supposed to happen in the, you know, maybe in the winter months, per se, here in Baltimore. But what are you going to do? I guess it's early fall, but we're trudging forward. Thanks for all your help throughout this week. It's been... uh. Uh, the, the vocal cords have been lacking, so you've definitely picked up my slack. Yeah, well, you're still doing a good job gutting through it, all of it. So we appreciate that. But, Bobby, we're coming off that, you know, big week one win over the Jets. Um, and then we're moving into week two. This is going to be the home opener at M&T Bank Stadium. I know fans are super excited to get football back downtown in Baltimore. As we know, Bobby, under John Harbaugh, the Ravens are uh, pretty good in their home openers, 13-1 and at the bank. How are you feeling about this game heading in? That statistic is something else. They've been exceptional uh, off the jump for, for their home crowds. And, you know, hey, uh, I, I think it's going to be a great game, a great test. Looking forward to having uh, our friend and former Raven and former Ravens radio analyst Femi Ion Badejo on the podcast later on, coming up in about 20 minutes. I think that'll be a great listen for for vault listeners out there because of, well, just his perspective on what happened last year, which we'll get to later on. We both know, Sarah, that it was a disappointing, almost vulnerable kind of night on Thursday Night Football last year for the Ravens that exposed them in a number of ways that we weren't used to seeing. So I'm excited to get his perspective on that. And the big question becomes, will they have made adjustments over the last year in preparation for the team that, yes, has a different staff with Mike McDaniel at the top, but the same personnel and you would think a very similar game plan until Baltimore proves otherwise. Yeah, Bobby, I feel like this game is one of those that is circled on the Ravens calendar. Maybe not in like a deep red the way it could be, say, for the Bills, you know, who's just like, you know, charging the way at the, on in the AFC anyway. So maybe it's not quite in deep red, but I definitely think this, this game is circled in. Players and coaches will obviously downplay that as they should. They want to make it just another game. But the way that the Ravens were almost embarrassed in prime time, 
with the whole nation watching. And leading up to that Ravens game, uh, the month prior, or excuse me, leading up to the Dolphins game, the month prior, the Ravens were averaging 29 points per game. <laughs> and then here come the Dolphins. Nobody quite expecting it. It's not like they were super highly ranked in defensive categories up to that point. And then the Ravens put up the lowest amount of points ever in the Lamar Jackson era, just coming up with 10. So um, if you don't think that the Ravens remember that, if you don't think that Lamar Jackson remembers that, you got another thing coming. They want to redeem themselves for sure. And again, I think, you know, specifically speaking to what Miami was able to do successfully defensively wise with cover zero, we'll save that for later on in the episode with Femi and some some of our own thoughts. But let's dive into what I think, and I, I'm sure you agree, is going to be crucial for Baltimore's defensive attack. And that is the angles and finishing tackles, being disciplined at the point of attack, Sarah, because last year that was a problem too. And when you take a look at the playmaking abilities of Tua's offense, right? Tua may not be a huge playmaker himself yet, at least in his ongoing development in what's been a very highly dissected start to his NFL career. But the weapons that he has out in front of him, Cheetah on the outside or in the slot, Tyreek Hill, of course, Jalen Waddell, Chase Edmonds, Mike Gesicki, who's capable of giving the Ravens fits. All four of those guys, specifically Waddle and Hill, though, the Ravens' def defense are going to have to be on their P's and Q's. It's like a jungle with cheetahs and penguins. It's all all this <laughs> stuff going on here. Uh, no, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think, um, you know, I try to go back and watch as much of the, the Dolphins game against the Patriots last week as I could. Um, but something that I saw there, like I definitely feel like the Ravens defense, especially led by that that defensive line, I feel like the Ravens defense is is going to be a top five defense. And I know I'm saying that coming off of the Jets game, but they, they're just so dominant. And I think that the Miami Dolphins, they have some injuries going on that they're working on with their offensive line. Uh, so whether they got all their guys there, even if they are there, they're not they're not looking like they're going to be 100 percent. So, okay, so great. So you feel like the defensive line is going to have great moments. That the, the Miami Dolphins gave up three sacks and seven quarterback hits. Four of those, by the way, came from former Raven Matthew Judon. So uh, they, they definitely can do some damage. So where Miami got their points last week was a couple of field goals, their their defense creating a turnover, and they got a touchdown off of sacking, stripping, and you know, grabbing that ball and taking it in. So there's already uh, 13 points that the offense really didn't have a ton to, to like, they didn't do much there. Then the one touchdown they did get, and this is to your point about taking the right angles, was on fourth and seven. And Jalen Waddell caught a short slant over the middle, was surrounded by three defensive backs, but just took off, and it was the yards after the catch. So that's where I feel like, you know, as you as you said, like Tua doesn't have the the biggest arm. At least he's not known to be. So that's what I think the Dolphins' game plan is going to be: is to get the ball in their playmakers' hands and try to get him in space and create yards after the catch. And if the Ravens 
do what they did last year or what they kind of showed in the preseason, which was not soundly tackle, then yeah, Tyreek and and Jalen Waddle can be game wreckers. They'll they'll take advantage of that and score off of that. So if you can keep the ball in front of you, but then make those sound tackles, which we did see. We saw that from um Patrick Queen. These guys were he was making plays in the open field, you know, making guy making sure guys got no extra yards. I totally agree with you. That's gonna be a massive uh part of the game. And then if they can pick up a couple turnovers along the way, the way they did against the Jets, then the defense can really keep this a low-scoring game. So their head coach is in his first year, Mike McDaniel, who's a product of the Shanahan tree. And he is really quite a an insightful guy. Very, I would say, what what is the right word here? He is far from the stereotypical NFL head coach. I think that's fair to say. Here yeah. he is on, he's a, he's a trip, really. I mean, he's quite a character, but he seems to have this football mind that is kind of rejuvenating this Miami team. And it's really early to say these things, obviously, one week into the season, but perhaps it's an overreaction. Anyway, here he is at the podium on Wednesday. Who plays Lamar Jackson at practice today? Uh, uh, I do. No, I mean, what, that's again, that's part of the delegation process. Um, it, you, you try to use a, a couple different people, but the bottom line is you're not going to replicate it. That's part of the shock and awe on game day um, when you are, you know, the most dynamic athlete for sure at that position. Um, he's continued to develop his uh, his pass game skill set, which you guys saw a little on display in the second half of the Jets game. So uh, regardless of who it is, I'm not going to put pressure on on one person and put it on, put them on blast in the media. Um, but we'll just say it's a collection of individuals because it takes a collection of individuals to stop them. Sarah, he's got this like witty, dry humor, kind of like nerdy, but swaggy kind of personality. Am I somewhere on top of that? What do you think? I think that's a pretty good description. He's definitely nerdy. Where's those glasses in there? You know, isn't like the biggest, you know, buffest dude. Sometimes you'll see these coaches that, you know, got these big old biceps, you know, coming out of these tight shirts and all of that kind of stuff. He is not sporting any of that. But swaggy is a good is a good answer. He just seems smart. And I felt like that was a smart answer to protect some of his players. I cannot tell you, Bobby, we both know this and Ravens fans know this. That is a pretty common question that media ask their own their own team that they cover when they're about to play the Ravens because that's what everybody wants to know like who in the heck is going to try to simulate Lamar Jackson then they'll usually give an answer and then all of us are like you know bah you know that's not going to simulate Lamar you know like so so why even do that so he's like I'm going to simulate him you know just kind of a get a chuckle out of everybody and then not throw anybody under the bus so uh, there's no simulating. It's like he said, it is the shock and awe. But I do get a tinge of um, Bill Belichick in there where you just love to like compliment the other team and you just build them up and this and that. And it's just kind of all part of the game. Let's just build them up. Not that you need to build up Lamar, but if you just compliment and compliment and compliment him, you know, there's no, there's no like the, uh, you know, given fodder for the other team to get angry at. You know, it makes me think of what former Steeler and now ESPN analyst Ryan Clark said recently, Sarah, and we actually had this on the vault. He said that obviously personnel departments and, and teams change over every single year. So you need to implement new, new things. But one thing that stays consistent under Mike Tomlin is two full days dedicated to Lamar Jackson preparation throughout a training camp in the summer. 
for the Steelers. And I think that just speaks to the respect that a lot of these teams uh, give a guy who, let's face it, demands a lot of respect with the way he plays this game. Yeah, and that's really saying something because <laughs> that's a division rival. If there's anybody that should know Lamar by now, you know, it's the division rivals. So, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, nobody, nobody's built like the Ravens. Nobody's built quite like the Ravens in, in how they do things. Um, which, though, as we know, Bobby, the Ravens are built to not just excel at the run, but dominate in the run. We did not see that in week one. We did not see that in the preseason. Um, where are you at with the run game as we head into week two? Are you confident that it's going to get better? Not confident? How can they turn this around? I'm not confident right now. I'm, I'm just not. Not yet. And I don't know if I will be until both J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards are back in, in, in this rotation. That's no disrespect to who they currently have in their room. I think Kenyon Drake is absolutely going to get his feet from underneath him. He literally just joined this organization within the last couple of weeks. So there's a big learning curve. And we know Greg Roman's offense when it comes to mesh point and everything that's asked of his running backs is nothing short of complicated and, and, and very detail oriented. So I'll give him absolutely. I'll give him some time and to get within himself, but Sarah, I just don't know if they have the pop right now without Dobbins and Edwards. And as we currently tape this, by the way, you know, we're 24 hours removed from J.K. Dobbins being a full participant at practice for the first time since pre-torn ACL back in the summer of 2021. So he certainly seems like he's nearing and, and coming up on a return. But based on what I saw against the Jets with very limited pop, very limited explosiveness. I don't know. I'm I'm not feeling too confident going into week two. Yeah. So um, with well, I guess I'll hit Dobbins first. I think with Dobbins being a full participant, certainly could be a sign that he'll be back. Sounds like he was a game time decision last week. Uh, I could see them being like, well, we got him one full weekend. Maybe we should just let his knee respond and then do one more full week of participation. Uh, but the fact that he's a full participant this week, at least was Wednesday, we'll, we're recording this uh, Thursday before practice. Um, you know, if he continues to be a full participant all week, then that would be a good sign. And then, you know, they can maybe be a game time decision. But even if he is in there, he would probably get a backup load anyway. Um, so you would have then Drake still being the top guy. And this is where if you're looking for optimism, I'm with you, Bobby. I'm still I'm still not feeling super confident about it. But if there's something that you you would feel more optimism about, you kind of touched on it, is that Kenyon Drake, he was signed, you know, Wednesday and August 31st. And then that's when the Ravens went on their uh, Labor Day kind of break, right? Um, be between the preseason and the regular season, Harbaugh gave them some days off. They come back, but his first full real practice was the Wednesday before. So he had three days to like drink from the fire hose of Greg Roman's very complicated run schemes. And as I look back on that game, the Ravens were, I mean, very scripted in the early going. 
We're not showing a lot of big things, trying to keep it pretty vanilla, partly because your now lead back <laughs> doesn't know the whole offense, you know, and also partly because the whole offense hadn't played together in the preseason. And so the Ravens weren't showing much at all or trying trying to do too much. So you'd like to think that with Drake getting hopefully another week under his belt, that he'll only ascend because to me, Bobby, while he still doesn't look like a healthy Dobbins, he certainly was better than the likes of what we saw last year in terms of pop and juice and all that kind of stuff. So if if you're looking for optimism, I think that's it. I think that you could have a better game plan, number one, uh, one that's not so vanilla and and kind of simplified and, you know, just reduced for this offense to get together and then – you know, and then we'll see if Dobbins is there. That oof, even if he's there as a backup, Bobby, that that could get us to the point of feeling more confident sooner than later. Yeah, that'll boost a lot of spirits for sure. I should also note too that you know Kenyon is dealing with the aftermath of trying to return from literally a fractured ankle in 2021. Right. You know, Mike Davis right. is on. Let's face it, the amount of miles that he's has on those tires and some of his injuries over the years as well as is, is preventing him from being the, the bruiser that he once was, at least at, at this point from what we've seen through one week of regular season football and also a healthy dose of, of preseason football in August as well. And then Justice Hill's coming back from a torn Achilles. So like tempering expect, I can't say I'm surprised to be honest with you for, about this slow start. And again, in, until Gus and JK are back together with hopefully in an ideal case scenario, Dobbins being the lead, Edwards being RB2, and then Kenyon Drake being a, a very, very, you know, serviceable RB3 who who's involved in, you know, an, a number of different schemes. I think that really bodes well down the stretch. That could be two months from now, Sarah, for all we know. But yeah. may, that's what I'm envisioning down the stretch. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's why it's just like if you can just hold down the fort, just hold down the fort and pick up some W's, even if they're ugly, even if they're, you know, slow starts, all of that, like all these, you know, picking up W's now, however they look is going to be important because you know that the, you know, the full throttled offense isn't going to be out there for a couple of weeks. But Bobby, one other thing I do think the Ravens can take advantage of in this game is a couple of things. So I think that um, and again, we're going to get to the, the zero blitz in just a minute here, but I think that the the Dolphins aren't quite equipped to handle Mark Andrews and the Ravens tight ends. So I think you've got something there that you could exploit. And then uh, they do have, obviously, in their secondary, Xavier Jones, who's just a phenomenal uh, defensive back. But, you know, you have to respect... Uh, Jones, but I think that with the what the Ravens showed, I think you can't underestimate what Devin Duvernay did and what Rashad Bateman did. In that, if you know, again, we'll cover this. If they come with the house, they're showing that Lamar can throw it up in one on ones, and they will come down with with the ball. And so the more that they can show their quarterback that they can do those things, and if teams want to put all their focus on Mark Andrews, then that's where you're going to have to go. 
and teams will have to wake up to it and be like, okay, well, this we can't defend the Ravens like this anymore. So, um, so I thought that it just was such such a huge statement from Duvernay to to make those plays on one on ones because I think he's gonna st- he, he's gonna keep seeing those looks. On that note, we should probably dive into this because this is what everybody wants to hear about Sarah because the Ravens had no answer on Thursday night football primetime audience down in Miami Lamar returns home right it's it's November of 2021 and the Dolphins defense smacked him in the mouth and for once in this Lamar Jackson era to your point earlier on in the episode they didn't have any kind of answer for it Cover zero for those who aren't familiar, by the way, and we'll get Femi's take on this in just a couple minutes. It's an aggressive coverage, typically tied to heavy blitz packages like we saw last year. It leaves zero defenders deep and utilizes man coverage. And Sarah, Lamar and company, they look like deer in the headlights. And it was so, again, it was vulnerable and it was so unfamiliar as a viewer and fan of this team and somebody who's been covering this team these last few years, I'm sure for you as well, it was jarring to watch unfold. Well, and it's interesting because media asked Lamar about cover zero and he said that they really hadn't, you know, it kind of caught him off guard. And I was like, really? That's interesting. They didn't, you know, like prepare for that, I guess. I mean, again, they were coming off a short week, uh, didn't have that, that there. And at the same time, you know, I've always felt like, you know, Lamar has seen a lot of zone because when teams play in man, if if Lamar takes off, <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, backs are turned, you know, people will have to leave their guy to come and get Lamar. So he has seen a lot of a, a lot of zone. And so to go man and then to go cover zero. Uh, and But on top of it, Bobby, it wasn't just that they kept coming and they did. They blitzed a, a defensive back on 24 of Jackson's 48 drop dropbacks in that game which was the most DB blitzes for any team since next-gen stats has been tracking it in 2016. So they went crazy. But what was on top of that was that on the other 24, basically, dropbacks, they were showing a simulated blitz, and then they came out of it. So, you know, here's Lamar, you know, trying to get ready for everybody coming, and then you think they're coming, then all of a sudden they're not. And so you don't know where your open man is. And then this is crazy. This this stat I got from Ken McCusick over at Film Study. Shout out to him. They had their nose tackle, Adam Butler. This is your nose tackle. Think about this. I think a couple of times the Ravens last week against the Jets twice had Pierce drop back in coverage. And we're like, oh, okay. Got the nose tackle, the big man dropping back. Yeah. In that game, their nose tackle, Adam Butler, dropped back eight. 18 times, mm. 18 times in coverage. So when that was happening, you you have a offensive lineman who has nobody to block. And in the meantime, the Dolphins are loading up on the edges. And so the guys outside have too many guys to block. And so they just never found an answer for that. I mean, 18 times dropping your defensive tackle is crazy. So, you know, the Dolphins say that that game has no bearing on what they'll do this time around. I've been trying this whole formula for a while now, but I wish we could take the points that we scored or the points that we didn't allow score and apply it to this game. Unfortunately, that is not the case. So, you know, teams are a collection of human beings that are in their present moment. 
So uh, although it is, it was cool to watch them. You know, I, I can put myself in the shoes of of the players, of the fans, of the organization. I know what losing streaks are like. Um, so on a nationally televised game, it had to be pretty cool. But as it relates to uh, this game, they get paid too. That's a very, very prideful organization that has been at the top of the NFL for a long, long time. Uh, another team that completely dwarfs my win-loss record. So that's about where it stops is um, you watch it for schematic stuff. But as far as it applying to this this week, I don't I don't think it pertains really. Bobby, I'm not fully buying that. I mean, there is truth in the fact that last year has no bearing on this year. And that's true. It's it's different people and all that. But listen, this is the same defensive coordinator, Josh Boyer. He still has the same philosophy. Now, last season, his defense blitzed almost 40 percent of the time. Uh, That was the second highest rate in the league. And the defense has 13 guys that started at least five games last year. So their identity hasn't changed. Now, I look, they would be dumb to come with the exact same defensive game plan. But why wouldn't they, why wouldn't they try to make the Ravens prove that they can stop it? Oh, exactly. I'm with you. We're going to see, you'd have to think we're going to see some sort of similarities and in, in a, in a similar approach because... Until, like I said earlier on, until Baltimore proves otherwise that it, it can have an answer for, for that style of defense, then I don't know why every opponent wouldn't come out and, and bring some sort of blend, some sort of layer of what Miami did last year. As you would imagine, during Wednesday's press conferences, both John Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson were asked, as you alluded to earlier on in this episode, about cover zero and if they're going to be prepared this time around. Well, we'd have been negligent if we hadn't worked on it. You know, it's something we need to get a lot better at, you know, and uh, and we uh, we studied the whole offseason, and, and uh, you know, we'll have a plan for it and, you know, hope it works, you know, because these guys are probably the best in the league at doing it right now. They do it more than anybody. They do it better than anybody, and it's just something they're committed to. I have all the respect in the world for what they're doing defensively. Uh, they're very physical. They play hard. They're tough up front. I mean, Sax Sealer, you know, I told the guys, you know, this guy, man, we know this guy. He was here, and he's just a big wrecking ball in there, and, and Wilkins is a wrecking ball in there. A lot of good players and a great scheme. They just, you know, caught, caught us off guard, really. Uh, we we haven't really went over um, defenses doing all-up zero against us, like just all-up, flat-out zero. But I feel we have an answer for it this year. You know, we, we watched film, watched a lot of film on those guys because we, we don't want it to happen again. Sarah, I think the one – Big takeaway from that that maybe some fans overlook from time to time is that John Harbaugh and his staff haven't just been working on a plan of attack for Sunday this week. Like that stuff happens all throughout the offseason. And in especially when the players aren't in-house, right? Like the winter months, the spring months, things of that nature as a full team. I mean, that's exactly what John Harbaugh and his staff uh spend time doing in the offseason, getting an answer, building an answer for how they can respond to what happened last year, you know? So to, to think that it's just this week that they're preparing it, that, that would be uh, far-fetched. <laughs> Greg Roman was asked way back, I think it was, he was either training camp or mini camp about this, about the cover zero. And he was like, oh yeah, I've been working on it. I've been working on it. And he's like, I, you know, I've, I've got some new strategies of, of you know, trying to to break it and all that kind of stuff. So uh, there's no doubt that the Ravens will be ready for it. I just hope that they're also ready 
for if they're able to shut it down, you know, or, or take advantage of it early, that they're also going to be ready for some counters. Uh, you can't only prepare for the cover zero uh, for sure. And Bobby, real quick, I wanted to correct myself before I said that the the, um, the Dolphins have a cornerback, Xavier Jones. That's a running back that's now a free agent. I meant to say Xavier and Howard. So I'm sure a few uh, Ravens fans had caught me on that, got my Xavier you know, names kind of mixed up there. So Xavier and Howard. So, but obviously reporters did not ask, nor should they, because the Ravens wouldn't divulge it. They didn't ask exactly what strategies they've employed to beat the cover zero because they should not reveal that. But we're going to go ahead and bring in now uh, Femi here. He was there, as you said, at the game. We're going to get his thoughts on how the Ravens can do that. So let's jump into that interview. Why don't you take us into how you feel like the Ravens can attack that cover zero blitz that we saw from the Dolphins and the the Ravens just had no answer for. Yeah, I think that the, the Dolphins did a very unique, took a very unique approach last year when they ran cover zero and when they decided to bring pressure. Remember the beauty of cover zero for the defense um, is that there's one more guy uh, coming um, from a pressure perspective than the offense can block, right? Because the quarterback can't block anybody. So they did a, um, a really good job banjoing the release of the receivers. So if the Ravens were in a bunch or a trips look, um, and if they had three corners to one side covering three receivers, what they basically did with the banjo is that uh, if a guy releases to an area, then the outside uh, DB would cover that receiver. The middle DB would cover the, re the receiver that releases to the middle of the field. And then obviously the inside, most inside receiver uh, would cover the most inside release receiver. Um, and I know that sounds a little bit confusing, but I think that gave the Dolphins an advantage because they were playing man, but it was it, it was a loose man coverage. And they were also on occasion dropping a defensive lineman back into uh, passing lanes to get into Lamar's vision. Um, I can tell you this. The Ravens made a ton of mistakes in the game along the way. Uh, I remember Sammy Watkins dropped the touchdown on, in the, on the very first series of the game or didn't, didn't see a pass that should have probably been a touchdown. And then obviously his fumble was amazingly costly. I think Xavier Howard stripped him and then ended up scoring a touchdown. So things just went bad all, all the way around in that game. And my, my guess is, is that they had never seen cover zero executed that way. And my hope is, is that one, they absolutely run into it. And when I say run into it, I mean, just pure, if you can get past the first level, that's going to be one of the answers. Can you can you recognize zero coverage and find a hole um, at the line of scrimmage? Because there's not going to be really anybody but a DB at the next level. And that, that uh, provides an opportunity for a big play. The other is really getting uh, receivers to run crossing patterns and get right into the vision of the quarterback as soon as possible. Um I think um, Mark Andrews caught a drag later in the game, which was a good a good answer. And I believe that um, Rashad Bateman caught a couple slants. He might have even a dropped the slant because um, you're going to have to cross the, the the face of the DB, and the DB's on an island by himself, so he's not likely to play press or play up tight. They're going to allow you to get yards and chunks if the quarterback has enough time, but that's contingent on. The, rec um, the offensive line recognizing where to slide to, and also the running back picking up the blitz. They did not do a good job of picking up the blitz or communicating who had who versus zero coverage. Did the, did the uh, running back have the end man on the line of scrimmage, which was sometimes a safety, or did he have the uh, linebacker who was lined up in the A-gap? That's all about pre-snap communication and having a year to basically work on it. 
The Dolphins, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, they lined up in zero coverage 40 times. They brought pressure 35 of the 40 times. So they're going to do it. It's going to happen. And I believe the Ravens should have an answer. That's a long-winded question, uh, a long-winded answer to a short question, but I believe that kind of covers what happened last year in a solution uh, to the problem that that uh, covers your opposes. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Femme, as a former coaching intern underneath John Harbaugh, how do you envision the ways in which he and his staff went about maybe redesigning their plan of attack when facing cover zero this offseason? It's not an uncommon thing, right? Like, I mean, cover zero does happen. It's not something that the Dolphins created or is, is new to the 2021 season. I just think it's communication. You know, the bottom line is, is that I don't, when I listen to Coach Harbaugh and I listen to Lamar, mainly Lamar, not Coach Harbaugh, but mainly Lamar, when I listen to him, in pre- in uh, addressing the press, especially the last couple of days, I got the sense that they did not expect to see that because they because the Dolphins probably had not shown that very much until the Ravens game. I think one of the beauties of Cover Zero is that it makes Lamar get the ball out of his hands, or it makes Lamar declare right away whether he's going to hand it off on his own read or if he's going to keep it. Right. The the number one thing you don't want to do with Lamar is give Lamar space. So I think understanding from a philosophical perspective what the Dolphins' objective is then allows you to counter that. And I do think that counter is really about communication, really understanding who the, the not to be redundant, but really understanding who the line are going to slide to, who the running back is going to pick up. And are you going to try to beat cover zero uh, uh, with uh, a receiver running a slant, a tight end running a, jag route, a drag route, or some combination of crossing patterns, or quick screen, or a quick hitting run play? I assume that all these things have been discussed, and these are all potential solutions to the problem. So, Femi, when when I agree with you, when I heard Lamar say, you know, it kind of caught us caught us off guard. Can you explain it? Like to a fan, it's like, how could I mean, Cover Zero, like you said, is not a new invention, right? Now, maybe the way they ran it, I mean, they did drop that they dropped their their nose tackle eighteen times, you know, yeah. so they got to figure out what to do with that, but. But why does cover zero, why would it catch the Ravens off guard? How could they not have a plan for that? I wish I could give you um, an answer that you're, that people are going to like. But the bottom line is, is that game planning is really based on what a team does over its last five games. And if they had not run a ton of that, it's such a unique thing. And the way they ran it was really unique. So I, I could see how that would be problematic for a team that sees something that's new but also the way they're doing it is really elegant. It's, it's just very different. And they had to come up with solutions on the sideline. And what I can say is, is that 
if you remember that game, the Dolphins played with their hair on fire. Like there was a different energy level and a different vibe. It was a Thursday night game. Thursday night games for the road team are notoriously terrible. The, the Ravens looked tired. The field was sloppy. I believe the field was wet uh, at, at a certain point. It might have even rained at a certain point during that game. Maybe I'm wrong about the rain, but I feel, I feel like I remember the field being slick or something. But the bottom line is, is they just got outplayed. I mean, they, they literally got outplayed. And even when they did have the right call made, there was a breakdown whether it was the offensive line or the running back or the receiver not catching the football or Lamar throwing the ball errantly. Um, I think it was just a culmination of not being able to get everybody on the same page at the same time. And to kind of loop this back around to your original question, Sarah, how does an NFL team say that they weren't ready? It really comes down to tendencies and what that team showed. Had that team not showed that um, the last five weeks, I could see how a team would say, oh, we're probably not prepared for this. And nobody else ran a ton of that the way the Dolphins did. I can't think of another team that executed that same style and same approach for basically a whole game. Josh Boyer, the coordinator for the Dolphins, said this approach is going to solve all all our problems for Lamar, their run game, and Lamar's ability to get outside the pocket. So kudos to them. I believe they'll have an answer this Sunday, though. So, Fem, shifting gears to Miami's playmakers offensively, we know they have plenty, and they certainly got a big upgrade this offseason by bringing in Tyreek Hill. We know Jalen Waddle was on this roster last year and still is. Mike Gesicki's capable of torching the Ravens. So just how important will you know remaining disciplined defensively be when it comes to tackles, finishing tackles, taking the right angles, and just overall being on your P's and Q's? Yeah, I mean, I, I love the whole vibe of of the Ravens defense. You know, I think they're they're getting healthy, obviously. Um, I love uh, the way that uh, Marcus Williams played. I love the way the defensive line played. You know, uh, Matabike, uh, Washington, Pierce, Calais, um, Justin Houston had a heck of a game. Um, I, I think that the Ravens are just a completely different football team than they were at that time last year. That was kind of the beginning of the end of the Ravens season was that Dolphins game. If you remember, it kind of went downhill from there. Yeah. Um, I think that the energy... I think that, uh, you know, uh, a new defensive coordinator with a little bit of, of a different strategy uh, brings a little bit of a, of a breath of fresh air in. And if the Ravens front seven can do what they did against the Jets. Now, this Dolphins offensive line is much better than the Jets, Jets offensive line. But if they can get underneath the Dolphins offensive lineman's pads, get their arms extended, play two gap and really get them on their heels the way they did against the Jets. Maybe not as much because I just think this is a better offensive line. Um, they'll create problems for Tua. Remember, Tua, you know, Tua's about six feet tall. He's not the biggest dude. He's a good athlete, but not, not a great athlete out of the pocket necessarily. I think he's got great uh, touch on the football, but he's going to need, need to be able to see passing lanes. Um, and I think if the Ravens can, can get a little exotic, uh, deploy some of the strategy they deployed against the Jets, I think they can make Tua make some tough decisions. You know, Tua had a really uh, clean pocket against New England. Um, but I think this Ravens defense is more fast flow than the Patriots. Are you concerned at all? I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with Marcus Peters. I totally agree. I mean, if if the defensive line, the front seven can be as disruptive, then, then maybe this question doesn't matter as much. But we're still not sure if Marcus Peters will go. Uh, he's limited in practice so far this week. Then And then with Fuller out, then I think you're probably starting to rely on some rookies. And Brandon Stevens is also on the injury report. He was limited. He was practicing, but he's he's limited. So are you concerned at all if Marcus Peters can't go about throwing these these maybe some of these rookies in 
when you've got weapons like Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell out there? Yeah, I, I think Brandon Stevens played a really good game. I saw a massive improvement from Brandon's play at corner last year to this year. I hope he can go. If he can't go and Marcus is down, that's problematic. You know what I mean? I, I don't I don't know what the solution is then other than throwing the young guys out there, you know, throw them right to the fire and, and see what happens. But the best uh, elixir for a beat up uh Secondary is a, is pressure from the front seven, so that's going to have to be their their mo. They're going to have to bring pressure if they can't stand up in coverage. You know, Tyreek's a monster. You know, Waddle's a problem. I mean, they got skill guys and speed. Um, I think Mo uh, Mostert right from the Niners is yep. on their is on their team now too. That dude can fly. I think he's healthy. So I mean, they they are going to have speed all over the field. So once again, the elixir for speed is pressure. You know, so that's going to have to be something that the Ravens are considering. And on the on the flip side of the football, you know, um, I, Linderbaum did not have a great game against the Jets. You know, I think um, youth can be a mental weight um, uh, on on a young player. You know what I mean? Um, so the communication and who's going to play left tackle? Is it going to be Makari? Is, is Ronnie playing? Is he not playing? Have you guys heard? I, I have not heard an update. I'm assuming he's not playing. But, um, I, you know. I'm I'm as concerned with the Dolphins front seven as I as I am concerned with the Ravens secondary. With Leonard Baum not having a good game, and obviously Ronnie not there, uh, the offensive line is trending in a better direction than they were last year. But do you feel like the offensive line fed into the Ravens' lack of rushing attack, or do you feel like it was the line and not having enough? you know, backs back there that could, that really have juice. Like what, what do you think will turn around the rushing attack? Yeah. I think it's a combination of not, not playing in the preseason. I think Tyler obviously had that, that foot injury that set him back a little bit. I think he's going to be fine in the long run. Um, and I think the jets, I'm going to be honest right now. I'm going to tell you, I think the jets um, are severely underrated. Uh, I liked some of what I saw. They turned the ball over, you know, they let some guys run free, but the Jets did not. They were not out there playing soft. Uh, I was I was kind of impressed with what they're doing. I'm going to be very curious to see which direction the Jets, uh, the Jets trend in. This this Jets performance could age well, potentially. Um, but I do think that there, there is something to be said for chemistry and guys working together and not playing in the preseason and a, a rookie missing practice does not lend itself to success. I do believe they'll figure it out. I was surprised that Kenyon Drake was the starter and that Mike Davis did not get as much run as I expected. I was having flashbacks to the Raiders game in Las Vegas when the Ravens basically ran almost zero zone read. And when they tried to run zone read, they almost turned it over in that uh, Raiders game. I don't know if you guys remember that from last year, but I expected Lamar to come out and run the ball a little bit more. He threw the ball so well when he needed to, he didn't have to. It almost seemed like Lamar is like, I don't need that fifth gear for this game. I'm just going to give you guys my arm and, and a little movement, a little here and there. But I think against the uh, the Dolphins, it's going to have to be full Lamar, full zone read, him keeping it, him, him exposing himself like he always tends to do. Um, and I'm hoping, praying, that J.K. Dobbins plays. I think he's ready. I know he's chomping at the bit. J.K. looked good in practice to me when I've been watching him. Um, I think J.K. is a difference maker. I think he's the only one in that backfield that has the burst that is required to really put pressure on the perimeter of defenses. He's the only running back they have that can do that. Now, Gus um, can do that too, but I don't think Gus is anywhere being ready to play. And Gus does it more with power and toughness, and, and he's quicker than he looks. But when they have Gus and, and J.K. back together, 
kind of that thunder and lightning approach, I think this run game is going to be very different. And once these guys get a couple more games under their belt and a little chemistry and a little confidence, especially talking about Tyler Linderbaum, this run, this run game will pick up. I think we could probably all agree that Dobbins made it abundantly clear over the summer that he had every intention of being back for week one. But you know whether that came in the form of tweeting or clapping back at reporters, questioning his status, you name it, at the end of the day, it wasn't his decision to make. It's a combination of the coaching staff and also the team doctors. Fem, as a former player who certainly has been through his fair share of injuries back during your playing days, can you peel back the curtain a little bit for how that dialogue sort of plays out between player and staff and how those decisions are made? Yeah, it, it's not a it's not an argument or a war. I mean, we're all on the same team, right? So there's there's no there's no animosity. Um, it's not a uh, uh, a angry discussion. You know, it's more like, hey, how do you feel? I feel great. Okay, well, let's let's test you out. Well, this is what we see. We think that you need another week or another this or another that. It's to protect the player from themselves. And yeah, I had I had my foot reconstructed. And, you know, I, I ended up missing a good chunk of a season and I had to come back the next year and work my way back. Luckily for me, I was ready for week one after like a massive reconstruction, but it was a team effort. It was the coaches, it was the doctors, it was the the trainers. And it was, it was me mainly like once I was ready, then they had to kind of give me the approval. So I, I hear where JK's coming from, but I don't think there's any animosity or anger. It's probably a little more uh, just personal frustration for him that they haven't let him get on the field yet. But I assume that, um, if he's not ready this week, he'll be out there. So, next Fem, week. when he does get back out there, you know, he kind of revealed on that uh, he was with WJ, WJZ. He had revealed that it wasn't just his ACL, right? He had damage to his LCL and his meniscus and his hamstring. So, like, when a player gets back, does it? I've heard sometimes that it really takes two years to get back to who you really are. You said you've seen him. Like, do you feel like he's close to that? Like, what percentage would you say, even if he were to play on Sunday, at what percent would he be playing at? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that is a, you know, that is dependent on the player, depending on what kind of rehab they put in. But I think as a rule of thumb, um, it, it does kind of take a whole nother season to really be completely, completely over it. But is he 92%, 90%, 88% percent of jk dobbins is, is that what he is if that's what he is that's probably better than most of probably every it's probably more speed than than everybody that's on that team right now um and it's enough for him to be effective and i remember when jamal uh tore up his his knee he came back the next year and i think rushed for 1400 yards and then the next year he rushed for 22 for 2000 yards you know what i mean so jk if jk can get out there um and and be mainly jk dobbins my guess is, is that he can probably rush for close to 1,000 yards. I mean, it's going to be by committee. Lamar's going to have his chunk yards. I'm hoping Gus comes back. Uh, maybe it's Mike Davis. You know, Maybe it's Kenyon Drake. I'm not, I'm not sure how the yards and carries end up being broken up. But I think Jake, if we remember what J.K. did as a rookie, and they kind of held him back a little bit, I think he can produce those same numbers he produced as a rookie in regard to uh, total yardage, touchdowns. Maybe not that breakaway speed yet maybe that not full jk thing that you were talking about sarah in regard to being really 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 back but i think in regard to that first level the line of scrimmage and the linebackers like kind of working and navigating his way through that i think he can be jk dobbins now that next level of burst that might be next year all right sarah let's get femi in the prediction game here before we let him go fem your score on sunday and the winner 
my thought process is, is that the Ravens are playing at home. You know, we're going to be cel- celebrating the life of Tony Siragusa uh, pregame. We have a big event that we're doing with uh, Be More Around Town, um, a tailgate. Ray's going to be there. Um, 15 other former players, maybe 20. Uh, Mike McCrary, I think Jamal Lewis, Jermaine Lewis, myself, Kyle Richardson, a bunch of us are going to be there. I think it's going to be a, a, a real amazing atmosphere. And I think to have Lamar back on the field, you know, he hasn't played a home game in a really long time. And I feel like the Ravens earmarked this game against the Dolphins because they remember what happened last year. And prior to last year, we had pretty much kicked the Dolphins' ass up and down the field in the last three or four meetings. I mean, really, we did. So I think that the Ravens want to get back to their winning ways against the Dolphins. I think that um, I believe they win the game, and I'm going to say 27-20 Ravens. All right. There you have it. All right, well, Femi, we appreciate you coming on, bringing in that X's and O's information for fans to pick up on. Great stuff as usual. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a good day. All right, Sarah, as per usual, Femi brings the heat. And I remember thinking last year, you know, we were at that point, we were co-workers uh, working for Ravens Radio, and we would do various segments together on the pre- and post-game shows. And I just remember listening to, to Femi and Jerry call the game and the entire time I'm like I am learning so much about the schematics that go into cover zero and successfully doing so through the lens and through and through the the vocals of a guy who is a Super Bowl champion is a former Raven who understands this game to such a degree and I think he does a great job as we talked about earlier on in the summer when we had him on at, at explaining high IQ kinds of football information in layman's terms. Right. Yeah, no, I love that about Femi. He always yeah, he always brings it. He's got passion. He's got knowledge. He's got all of it. So uh, really appreciate him breaking down all those X's and O's. Now, Bobby, before we're going to we're going to get into some some emails here. We got two questions in the emails. But before we do so, we got to put ourselves on record here. We got to give ourselves a prediction for this game. I think we were both correct uh-huh. last week, right? We were both correct that the Ravens would beat the Jets. We weren't going out on a limb there, but I'm pretty sure I was closer on the score. Yes, um, you were. Yes, yes. Just wanted to make I had sure 27-24, so I will hold myself accountable. I, I wanted a, I didn't want a close game. I was forecasting a close game, and I didn't get it. So yeah, it's one nothing. you, I believe. I mean, why do you think that, that, that they were going to be able to put up <laughs> – you know, that many points on this Ravens offense or defense, um, I'm not sure. But it doesn't matter. Scores scores are, are tough to predict. Uh, so now we got to go into this game. Uh, yep. You want to go first or let's see? No, let's have no, you go first. No, off. no, you're starting <laughs> off. Come on. <laughs> I'm going to make my decision based off yours. No, I'm just kidding. I already got my head. But ladies first. All right. I like it. So, um, as I said, I feel like this is a circled game for the Ravens. This is a home opener game. This is not going to be as easy as it was against the uh, Jets, for sure. But I see the Ravens winning this. I do. I think that they're it's it's kind of like with the Titans. You know what I mean? The Titans had embarrassed them in the playoffs, uh, weren't looking good, and they finally came back. You know, one beat beat the Titans. Lamar was clearly ticked off. Didn't even want to shake hands afterwards. Those types of things. Lamar's just such a – he's just a good guy. He doesn't talk trash. He doesn't do anything like that. But I think this stuck with him. 
And I think he's going to remember he didn't have much of a chance because he was hurt a couple games later to kind of redeem himself uh, against the Jets. They weren't showing the type of blitzes that he could see against Miami. I think he's itching to prove them wrong. I think that as long as the Ravens play a mistake-free game on offense like they did mostly against the Jets, Lamar had that pick uh, in garbage time. If they, again, I don't feel like the the Dolphins' offense can, like, put up a ton of points. And so, to me, it's like if you let their defense force you into turnovers, force you into all these three and outs, that's the way they can win it. But I just I just have too much confidence in Harbaugh, a game opener, in Lamar. So, I see the Ravens winning this. I'm, I'm doing 27. Ooh, ooh, hold on. Let me think a little bit. I'm going to go <laughs> – yeah, I'm going to stick with that 27 to 21. Okay. All right. What All right. you got, so Patna? What you got? It's, it's well documented that I am not a fan of the prediction game. We've talked about that a number of times. And maybe at the core <laughs> of, of that, my reasoning, <laughs> get these dis- because I tend to have sort of a personality, you know? Oh, come on. Just well, own your prediction. Come on. Oh, don't, I'm, go- don't, I'm don't going to. I'm just saying Okay. I'm just setting it up, right? I tend to have a bold <laughs> right. personality. I think you've probably learned that working with me these last couple months. And so with okay. that, I'm following my gut here, and maybe this is bold of me to say, but I think the Dolphins are going to steal one and steal the show on the home opener Sunday in Baltimore. I think they're going to come in. I think they're not going to have a, a strikingly similar game plan defensively as last year, but I think there's going to be a blend to it. I think there's going to be a layer of it. And I think that combined with the Ravens inability to consistently rush the ball successfully, as we saw in week one, which I don't want to overreact to, I think that's going to come back to bite them. I think the Dolphins playmakers offensively are through the roof. And until I truly see this Ravens defense, which absolutely, I agree with you from earlier on in this episode, has top five potential throughout the entire league until I see them take shape and take form against a team that's a bona fide postseason team. I'm not going to become a believer yet. I think the Dolphins come in, they steal one. It's going to be a close game, a great game. 31-27, Dolphins take care of business. Whoa, what was that score? 3127, not to be confused with your 2721 Ravens victory. We will hold ourselves accountable next week. <laughs> Listen, I don't think it's crazy to say that the Dolphins can steal one. I'm a little bit shocked by you giving them 31 points against this defense. They got playmakers. Bro. They got playmakers. Come on. You got to be. Come on. Wait, hold on a second. You want me to do predictions, and I'm agreeing to do predictions. You have to be bold in order to do predictions. And that's what I'm doing here. So, all look, right. Can I? Know. I have a suggestion for us. Okay. Listen, this is going to bite me just as much as it can bite you. In our post game analysis, we need to revisit our scores, or we could do it in the next previews like we're doing here. But if you get it wrong, we have to play the kit clip from Dumb and Dumber. Where Lloyd Christmas says, you pathetic loser. (laughs) Uh, As the editor of this podcast, I am not committed to doing so. But you also have access to our platforms and our system. So, I mean, it's fair game. 
partner. All right. No, that's what I said. It could bite me too. It could bite me too. Listen, I'm just a little bit surprised. And look, we're making a big deal out of this. I shouldn't do this, but 31 points. You think the Dolphins, Tua Tung, I'm not, I can't even say his name right. Tua Tungavailoa. Ooh, I got it. He's going to put up 31 points. Let's let's see that. Let's see that. All this I'm saying, be before we get to emails, and th- hopefully we get to emails, let me tell you. All I'm saying is yeah. when you're talking predictions, and this is why I hate it, you have to be bold because on the other side, that's when you're a winner. When you go bold, so all I'm saying, okay. I don't know, I don't know if I necessarily believe what I'm saying, but I know that's like the cardinal <laughs> rule of something you don't admit uh, when you're when you're on the air. But nonetheless, let's get the emails. All right, let's do it. All right, I'll start off here with uh, Matthew Espinoza. Okay, his question is basically: Could Kyle Hamilton, the rookie safety, could he play both ways? He talks about how Patrick Ricard was a physical specimen like no other, and then the Ravens let him kind of do a little of everything. Defensive line, fullback, he's played a little bit of tight end. In fact, he played a lot last year when Nick Boyle went down. So in Matthew's mind, he says Kyle Hamilton could be a similar situation. He's 6'4 and 220, 220 pounds. He's played about 50% of snaps in week one, so he's sprinkled in there and should have enough energy, he's saying, to play snaps at what he's saying is wide receiver. And he goes, I know we have Andrews Bateman Duvernay seems to be coming into his own now, but if likely doesn't pan out to be the weapon we expected from the preseason, could Hamilton be gifted enough athlete uh, or be a gifted enough athlete to play both ways and make an impact on offense? Please let me know your thoughts. It would be awesome to hear you two touch on this on the podcast. I am eager to listen every morning. Thank you, Matthew, for listening. And thank you for your question. Uh, Matthew, I do not see this being a possibility. I understand where you're coming from. I think the Ravens, the reason why he's playing 50% of snaps, and you're right, that that would give him extra energy, is just because they have two phenomenal other safeties. And I also think that it's because he's a rookie and they have the luxury of easing him in and helping him learn the NFL game. So I think as a rookie trying to learn the NFL game, a complex defense, although it sounds like Mike McDonald is able to simplify it for all these guys and make it uh, very, very consumable. Uh, I just don't see the Ravens putting that on his plate, especially as a rookie. Uh, And I don't even know. I guess I need to look into his background. Bobby, has he played? Do you know if he's played offense in the past? Not off the top of my head. I don't know. Yeah, Matthew, I'll, I'll look that up and maybe I can revisit it. But I, in my mind, I know he's played other sports, played some basketball. I don't even know if he's got the hands to do it. Uh, any of that, I, I just don't recall him. Maybe as you're doing your question, Bobby, I'm going to do a quick Google search to see if he's ever played offense ever uh, in football. But even if he has, I would say I, I really don't see that happening. If he has, it was probably a long time ago. I mean, he's got all the ability in the world. His his father, as we've discussed, Derek Hamilton played professional basketball overseas, and Kyle himself had some offers um, coming out of uh, school as well to play basketball. So anyway, uh, yeah, why don't we get to the – our next email here, and this is from Thor Johannesson, our buddy from Iceland. Thanks for writing, Thor. He writes, uh, Sarah and Bobby, I'm very much confused about what's going on with Lamar's negotiations after listening to Mike Greenberg's uh, podcast where he states that the Ravens leaked some misinformation about the contract Lamar refused, and that should piss Lamar off. Do you think there's any truth to uh, to these allegations? Because I thought it was obvious the leak came from 
the Players Association. And it's our understanding, Thor, that that's exactly where the leak came from. According to Chris Mortensen of ESPN, which kind of got all of this, these reports on game day, you might remember, on opening Sunday of, of this season, both from Adam Schefter and Mortensen, uh, we learned that for the first time, Lamar was actually asking for guidance. He sought some guidance from the Players Association, and while doing so, I guess left himself a little bit vulnerable, and, and that looks to be where this leak came from. I don't believe it came from the organization. Sarah, I know you have some thoughts on this. We have every reason to believe that it didn't come from the Ravens based on how these two parties have done business from the jump uh, regarding these these extension talks. Yeah, I just think that it just would go against so much of what we already know about the Ravens. Like prior to Lamar Jackson, the Ravens have already been, they've never negotiated through the media. They are, I mean, super tight-lipped. Listen, probably the best beat reporter is Jeff Zrebeck. He gets that insider news. Even he, him, he's just like, I get nothing from the Ravens on this. I get nothing. I get nothing from Lamar. And here's the thing. If, if like, that's already the Ravens' MO, and then on top of it, they know how much Lamar likes to keep quiet, and they still want to get a deal done. Why? Why would they risk that? To me, it would be like putting a, just throwing a bomb on this whole negotiation process. It just wouldn't be a smart move for them, even if it was what they wanted to do. But that's not who they are anyway. So, sure, is it possible? Sure. But I think it was pretty, pretty clear based, based off the report we saw from uh from ESPN is that or Mortensen is that it, he literally cited NFL uh, PA sources in there. So I haven't heard I didn't hear the the clip from Greenberg. Uh, I don't know if he was reporting new news or if he was just speculating or what I didn't hear that uh, but but no I from from what I can tell it's all from the NFL PA. Um, and then also just a quick follow up on Kyle Hamilton according to Wikipedia, which is never wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, sarcasm there. But it, according to Wikipedia, he did play Hamilton in high school. He played wide receiver. So there you go. All right. That doesn't change my opinion. Right. That doesn't change my opinion that the Ravens would use them both ways, but a uh, little nugget right there. All right. Well, that about sums it up. Go ahead and check out the morning vault from Thursday morning. Um, really good stuff. If you haven't already really should listen to that exchange between Lamar Jackson and the media. It just once again encapsulates why Lamar Jackson is just so unbelievably likable, the way he handled the situation there. Um, and then, so this will be up Thursday afternoon. You'll check out Ravens Morning Vaults Friday morning. And then, of course, we will have the instant reaction to this uh, Ravens-Dolphins game. If you want to follow in Matthew and Thor's footsteps, please go ahead and send us questions or comments to uh, our email, BaltimoreRavensVault at gmail.com. And also don't forget that we are posting these in audio form for now uh, on, on YouTube. So go to YouTube and just search uh, Ravens Vault, and you will be able to find it there. So uh, check us out. We appreciate everybody and uh, all their support. We want to thank once again Femi Ayambadejo for coming on and uh, breaking down uh, this this Dolphins matchup. So we'll talk to you again soon here on the Ravens Vault.